Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture stories. This is Wendy Pease, your normal host of the Global Marketing Show podcast. And today we're going to switch it up a little bit because I'm going to become the guest and play the recording of the interview that I did with Josh Santos, who's the host of the Conquering Chaos podcast. As we went through the conversation, it was very interesting with what he had to talk about and then the angle he brought me to talk about uh, the manufacturing industry and what they can do for going global and the application that they have at Parsable that really helps and how it goes across languages. So rather than recording a new episode or sending you over there, I thought we'd play it here so you'd have the opportunity. If you know anybody in manufacturing or you're in manufacturing, this is the episode for you. Uh, please share it around. And if you're not in manufacturing, it also gives a bunch of good tips and hints on how to hang, handle language, particularly if you're selling internationally or you have multilingual or you have employees who speak another language and may not be able to speak your language with you. So I hope you enjoy it. I certainly enjoyed talking to Josh. It was a very lively conversation and I'm sure you'll learn something. So signing off for now. Thanks also to Rapport International for sponsoring this podcast, The Global Marketing Show. You have a great week. Coming up on the show, we're speaking to a passionate leader who specializes in connecting people across languages and cultures. And that comes through in her various pursuits from traveling the world to advising a variety of companies across industries on communication. Now, how does this tie back to manufacturing? Well, let's take a look at the current workforce challenges as an example. Part of the problem is centered around communication. Who are you trying to reach? How? What is your message? And are you even, and I mean this quite literally and figuratively, speaking the same language? Our next guest is the CEO of Rapport International, which specializes in multilingual communications that help businesses reach their target audience. She's the host of the Global Marketing Show podcast and the author of the book, The Language of Global Marketing. Please welcome to the show, Wendy Pease. Wendy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Josh. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. Uh, you know, we like to start each show with the same question, which is, look, what's your day-to-day -day look like in your role? And this can be, you know, both work as well as home, because we, we all know that home and work have sort of merged in recent times <laughs> they certainly have except in recent times and past times my life has been merged i originally bought rapport international because i had two young children and i wanted to be able to own a company and control my time schedule rather than running off to a corporate office and working you know, seven to seven and having to do dinners and travel. So I've worked from home for 17 years. 
uh, and all the employees that I've hired work from home. And through the years, we thought, well, should we get an office? And the verdict is always no. So when we had to go, well, we were virtual before the cloud and we had to go virtual for COVID. We were already there. So it's it, it works for us. <laughs> Got it. So you, you've been through this way before everyone else had to make that transition. And, and uh, you know, I know one of the things that I had to learn pretty quickly, uh, especially adapting to having to be from a, a home working environment is putting those boundaries in place as far as like, well, work starts at this time, work ends at this time, because it was too easy for work to just be like a something that was always there for mm-hmm. me. Now, I don't know if that's something you struggled with, but I I certainly did. At the start of COVID, I, I, had, I had no social activities going on, so I had a choice. I could either work or I could do home projects. Now, I much prefer my work over home projects, so I did a lot of working, but it was a real productive year. I wrote and published a book and launched a podcast, The Global Marketing Show, where I'm talking to people like you who do global marketing. So for me, my work is kind of a release and a, a, you know, an outpouring of my creativity, you know, when I put the extra hours in. So, but over the last six months, I've pulled back a little bit more because, you know, there's slightly more socializing. We understand what could go on, but you do have to put boundaries in. I really try not to work on the weekends. My productive time is first thing in the morning. So I'll get up and sit down with a cup of tea or coffee and work for a while where I can get that undisturbed thinking anytime between five and seven. And then probably around 7, 38 o'clock, I take off and I go work out. I got a new Peloton, so I've been thoroughly enjoying that. And then I'll come back and work the day, but I knock off probably around four or five o'clock at least. You know, that's a common theme that we're that I'm seeing with the, the leaders that we bring on the podcast is there is a dedicated time in the morning before the the fires pop up and the chaos takes over, that quiet time to reflect uh, or visualize or just gather thoughts that are going to enable that centered approach to the day, as well as exercise. So everyone listening, part of conquering the everyday chaos within the manufacturing environment is conquering your own chaos within your personal the life. So it's that's a common theme, undisturbed thinking, exercise that sets you up to execute at the level at which you need to be. And also a gratitude practice. Mm. The November before the world shut down, I started a gratitude practice. Before I got out of bed every day, I was always thinking about what I needed to get done. And then I get out of bed kind of charged. But I changed that to thinking about what are the things in my life that I'm grateful for. And I tried to pick special moments, like seeing a cardinal in the backyard or a funny joke that my son told or, you know, a good conversation that I had at work. And that just changed my whole view on the world. And so I certainly add that into my morning ritual. And that was a theme of, we just recorded with uh, an individual named Sarah Dale. She's a plant manager at International Paper. And that's one of the things she spoke of, of, of really changing how she approached her day was taking that moment of finding what is it that I'm grateful for. And, and it comes back to that, look, you know, it is a very challenging time outside of work. It's a challenging time inside of work, particularly manufacturing with the different struggles between the supply chain issues, the mm. workforce issues. There's a lot of you know, pressure, frustration, and really it comes down to an individual mindset, especially for the leaders. That right mindset is going to reflect the culture and it's going to be infectious. So being able to bring that, that centered 
appreciative, you know, real, you know, I would say grounded perspective makes an impact. And let's talk about making an impact. So, you know, we've spoken uh, on this show in the past about the difficulties that manufacturers are facing recruiting and retaining workers while also preparing for the upcoming retirement of the experienced workers. You got these two, yes. you know, this perfect storm coming. We had a, an individual named Jim Parker. He's the director of quality and operational excellence at Inline Plastics. And he joined us to share how they've reduced turnover and improved retention within the first 90 days. We've spoken to uh, Paula O'Driscoll from J&J and Anthony Loy from Schneider Electric. They shared how they're engaging the next generation of industrial leaders through their work with the World Economic Forum. And we even interviewed uh, Tu Kao from OFI. She shared her experience as a Gen Z manufacturing professional. So what we invited Wendy here to, to talk about today is perspective that hasn't come up yet on the show, and that's appealing to foreign-born workers. Now, according to the National Immigration Forum, and this is as of 2018, so it's a little, little out of date at this point, but it was the most recent statistics that I could find. Immigrants make up 17% of the U.S. workforce and 19% of the manufacturing labor force. Now, that's a pretty significant number, about a fifth of the manufacturing workforce. So what if you could further appeal to that community? How would that help with your workforce issues? So that's what we're talking about today, how manufacturers can attract, engage, and delight local members of foreign-born communities. So, Wendy, my first question to you, you know, you work with many types of industries, uh, industries sorry, not just manufacturing. Talk to us about the importance of embracing foreign-born communities in today's workforce. It is such a huge opportunity for manufacturers. And first off, I have to say, Josh, that, you know, when we first connected, I went to your website, Parsable's website, to look at the services that you're offering. And I was so excited to see that you offer the platform in multiple languages because you're the, the, the service that you have helps with improving safety and quality and productivity. And if you do that only in English, you're really limiting what you can do on the shop floor. And so I'm so thrilled that your blinders are off and you know the opportunity there for companies that are going that it, it manufacture internationally or just in the United States. So I'd love to give an example of a client of ours called Boston Centerless who recognized years ago that they had trouble hiring in their area, but there was a huge population of Spanish speaker, speakers and Vietnamese speakers. And so what they did was figure out how to build an environment that would be very friendly and inclusive for people who didn't speak English. Now, the number one problem I see with companies is they say, ooh, we'll hire them and then we'll teach them English and then we'll have this great work staff and then we could do business as usual. Well, that doesn't work because you can find some incredible employees that don't have language skills. And so, for example, this, this Boston Centerless, they do precise manufacturing of metal rods and they have to be extremely high quality because they're used in medical devices. And so if something's not extremely precise, it can cause major injuries. So they had to figure out how are we going to attract new employees? How are we going to hire them and train them? And then how are we going to engage them so they actually want to stay? 
and find it such a friendly workforce that they actually refer people in so they don't have trouble hiring. So they did it from the start is they they would go to those hiring trade shows pre-COVID and they would translate the brochure. They'd have a QR code that would then go to their website with information in in Spanish they started out with. And so people could do the application in on there. Then when they came in for the interview, they did have some bilingual speakers that they had hired on staff. But if you don't, you can always use telephone interpreting or you can hire an interpreter and do a series of interviews throughout the day to find people. Now, the immigrants that come to the US are extremely highly qualified for the most part. A lot of them have masters and PhDs. They've been lawyers and doctors in their country and they've come over here and sometimes they're working in housekeeping jobs or other things like that because they can't do their original profession uh, because they don't have the language skills. All, everything that you hear in the popular press about you know they're they're here illegally or they've crossed the border or all that stuff that's a that's a small percentage of the immigrants that have come in so the resources are out there or you know the people that are out there that you can hire are are extremely highly qualified okay so we're talking about attracting and how you bring them on then you know, you do the interview, you have somebody help facilitate that conversation. And that, that's, we've provided interpreters for benefits meetings and for hiring and for translating those brochures. The next step is you bring them on and you have to train them and you have to make sure they're fully trained, the manuals are in language so they can refer to them and that they also know what the company rallies around. So Boston Centerless is, they're they're rallying around precise manufacturing. So they're looking for people that are extremely detail-oriented, that like to do things the same way over and over again. It's not creativity, but it's that style of person. So when you train them, then they can do that. Now they've done some good things with, like I was talking about the, the safety and the uh, damages they can cause. They have signs all over the place that show what can happen. And they're kind of gruesome pictures of injuries that can happen if the precise manufacturing isn't done. So it's there as a reminder. They have, uh, for the training, they've got a big whiteboard up with magnets and everybody on the shop floor, their name's up there. And when they train on different stations, the, they add magnets into that area so everybody can see who's trained on what area. And so if they need backup, they can go. In addition, this makes it very equal for how people are promoted and get raises because the more you're cross-trained, the more valuable you become to the, country, the company. So another area is how do you reward and communicate when projects are done and the statistics around it? They've developed this statue called Tim Wood. It's a Tim manic, a wooden mannequin that stands about five feet tall that rolls around the shop floor to different stations. So when they finish a job, it has the numbers on it of you know how precise, how many the manufacturer, you know whatever the stats are that they had to do. But people can see when a job is finished. So they've they've incorporated a lot of visuals that don't need a lot of explanation or reading. Somebody can glance at it really quickly and understand what it says. So, and then for the third, so you've got the attract, 
you've got the engage, and then how do you delight? These are marketing terms, but I think it's attract, retain, you know, and include across the manufacture, across the hiring. And so when you get to the really delighting their employees and making them feel engaged, what can you do about that? Well, they've, what they do is, is for every, so they started with Spanish and they went into other languages. And so they, I think they have about eight or nine different languages spoken there. And for all the countries that people are from, they hang a flag up on the shop floor. So when you walk in, you see your country's flag up there and there's pride in that. So if anybody leaves and that country is no longer represented, they take that down, but they put them up and take them down. So it's a very active reminder of the diversity that's there. For their holiday party, they do a potluck and people bring foods from their native country. And they say that's one of the most favorite events that they do throughout the year. So they are, they're celebrating the culture. And so they've, and they've promoted supervisors who are bilingual. Um, and then teaching English is a, is a benefit. It's not a must have, but then people who want to learn English can opt in into the classes. So you can see through the whole cycle from how are we going to find people, how are we going to bring them on and train them, and then how are we going to make them really feel part of the team? They've done these things throughout, and they're consistent at it. Now, the added benefit for it is they're practically fully staffed in this era when everybody's having a hard time hiring because they hire friends and family of the people already working there. So you know, you're working there and you have a cousin or your spouse or your child or somebody wants to come work there, they get a referral bonus for referring, the employee gets a referral bonus for referring somebody in, and then they get to work with people that they know and like already. So they've got this, this whole circle of how do I, you know, find new employees, it's naturally feeding the engine. There's a lot of great, great comments and, and stories that you shared in there. And I want to emphasize, I want to go through a couple of those, uh, but I want to emphasize that last thing that you said of here's, here's an added benefit that you may not realize, but they're practically fully staffed. Now, how many, how many companies can say that these days? And there's, yeah. there's, there's a lot of great points that you brought up. And, and I want to go through a few of those. One of those is starting on that idea of and we actually had a guest sometime last year. His name was Greg Chamberlain. He talked about how your talent supply, think of it as a talent supply chain, is local, right? You need mm -hmm. to think of how manufacturing impacts the local communities. And in doing so, you have to understand who are the local communities. And by doing that, now you can start to build who is it that we can reach out to because our organization is is providing a service to the local communities and we want to engage the different local communities. And part of those local communities do include, you know, foreign born people who I've certainly, you know, it, wherever you live, there's certainly these communities of foreign born individuals. And it's, and it's a great way to get exposure to that diverse uh, culture, which mm -hmm. is so critical. And we're going to come to that point that you made on the delighting side. But right. And, and let me just add in on that, too, is, is that you have manufacturing organizations or companies that are usually based in lower rent communities because you don't need the retail space. You don't need to be on Fifth Avenue. You can be out someplace. And if you look around that community, there usually is a lot of immigrants that are there. So tapping in, knowing your town and tapping into that. Mm -hmm. And this gets into one of the ideas that has come up consistently on the show is that 
manufacturing has a marketing problem and it's not so much marketing yes. of the goods that they're selling, but it's, it's marketing from a, what is our, you know, perception within the industry and who are we trying to reach, particularly in this, in this conversation of who are we trying to reach to, to bring people on. And, and I love that you called out that, that the organization that you're working with took the time to reflect on who are the types of people that we're seeking to bring into our environment. Well, we're looking for detail-oriented people, right? We're looking for detail-oriented people across the different bases of communities that are nearby. So we know that we're looking for this type of person and this type of person exists within every culture. So how can we, how can we cast a wider net? I mean, back to that statistic, a fifth of the manufacturing workforce is made up of foreign born workers. I've certainly seen that firsthand in my work here at Parsable. Uh, I've been to hundreds of different manufacturing facilities and a significant amount of people that I've interacted with are English as a second language. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and there is definitely, you know, in those people, there's a, I, I don't want to speak on their behalf, but sometimes there's sensitivities about language skills. I've certainly been there yes. in my time, mm-hmm. you know, working in, in, in living in France, trying to speak French and, uh, and failing pretty poorly at it. It's, it's tough to be in a, in a world where, you know, you, it's tough to communicate. And so, you know, and I've, I've worked with, with manufacturers who, you know, like you mentioned before, Parcel is available in, in 18 languages and counting and part of their requirements. I just, I love that. I love that. And, and when we were talking earlier, you said that it depends on the device. So almost everybody has a, a, you know, smartphone now. And if your device is set to Spanish or Korean or Russian or whatever, the Parsable app is going to come up in that language. And so imagine the safety and quality and productivity that you can manage through that across all the languages. I just, I can't say enough how thrilled I am that you, you have translated that and you see the vision for it. Well, yeah, it's, it's critical because you're right, you know, especially in manufacturing where, you know, your top concerns are one safety mm-hmm. and then, you know, quality and productivity. There's certain critical pieces of information that people need to know and must have access to in a way that they can consume it. That's a critical part, right? It doesn't, it's not a good enough job if it's like, okay, here's the book on safety. You need to know this at all times. That's not going to work for anyone. It needs to be something that they can consume. And close the loop. Re- and close the loop. Report on. And so how do you make that accessible in language? And so, so many times I see tech companies or manufacturing companies not think global from the start or think multilingual from the start. Because even manufacturing, I mean, there's a need and a desire for U.S. goods internationally. Yeah. So hats off to you guys. Yeah. yeah. One, one customer that we worked with, you know, we were first starting uh, conversations with them. You know, the, the guy we were talking to, he, he, he said, Hey, look, our site is, is made up of a significant portion of the Bulgarian community, right? So you have to be able to support Bulgarian or this is a, a non-starter. And right. it's, it's that type of experience that, I, you know, I want to make sure it doesn't get overlooked is that there are a significant uh, portion of our team members who are English as a second language, who are connected to their community, who can, and, and to the point that we'll get to provide those referrals as well, because that is, that is the critic, that, that is the best way for recruiting is the referral based yes. approach. 
Yes. Uh, and the benefit to the people that you hire is they become so loyal. Because if you imagine you're in the US, you're college educated, you've held a good job in your country, and now you're here in the United States for you know whatever reason, and you don't speak English, it's really hard to get a good job where you have consistency, you've got long, longevity, you've got uh, commitment, you're mentally challenged, you get benefits, you get holiday pay. So these jobs are really good for people that don't speak English, and they become loyal. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're they're part of a real company that's building something. They don't feel like they're just part of the disposable workforce. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I loved about the story that you shared, you know, when we're talking about delighting. The word that came to mind with everything that you were dis- describing was this idea of representation, right? People People want to feel heard, included, represented, yeah. right? And especially, mm-hmm. you know, we think about, you know, you and I both are, are Americans. We're, we're proud of that fact, right? We're Americans. We're proud. Well, that same sort of pride comes from people from foreign born communities. People are proud of their heritage, right? Mm-hmm. There's, and that, that ties closely to identity. And, and, and something I learned from, from Seth Godin is this idea that, you know, to appeal to people, we got to keep this idea in mind is that the way that people think is, People like us do things like this, right? And so to be able to represent a community and show that not only are you represented, but you are embraced and welcome, which goes a long way on ESG from a, from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective, but it gets to that idea of delighting. And when you delight people, you've got those advocates. And what do advocates do? They say, hey, people that I care about, you need to know about this great opportunity. Like, let me tell you about it. Let me bring you in. Yes. And like you called out, practically fully staffed. Yeah. That's a big deal. That is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Yeah. And so, you know, what what is coming to mind for me now is if you're a manufacturer and you're listening to this and you go, huh, this could be something that I'm interested in looking at. Many people are afraid of different cultures and languages, but, you know, if you take those blinders back a little bit and you want to figure out how to start, I am certainly happy to do an introductory call. We've got a case study on our website about Boston Centerless. Our website is rapporttranslations.com. And if you just go to the search bar on the top right and search for Boston Centerless, you can see that and you can read more detail about it. And I'm happy to, you know, help in, in any way on that. So, cause it can, there is, I'm doing a presentation in a month or so for a Sherm continuing education that walks through the steps and all the considerations and different frameworks for thinking about how you think about what content you need on each stage and how you set that up. So once you get the strategy, uh, you know, where you want to go, then it's, you develop a process around it. And then you can look at which quality you need for translation, what resources, you know, you need high quality translation, a human professional to do any of your safety and your training material. But yeah, Google Translate for you're sitting in the coffee room and you're trying to figure out just how to connect with somebody who works out fine. So, you know, so you think about strategy process, you know, where you can leverage technology and what quality you need. And then once you lay that out for one language, you can replicate it for other languages if that's what you want to do. 
is a bit of a standard operating process in what you just described. You, you yes. build out, here's the standard way to approach it, and then it becomes a repeatable and scalable approach uh, so yes. that you're not reinventing the wheel every time. Well, yes, how nicely said. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> of course. So, you know, one of the things that, that we brought up is that we're essentially talking about how to mar- market opportunities within manufacturing to a, to a new audience or an audience that may not always be um, thought of first and foremost. You have to be targeted. You have to know who you're trying to reach. You have to know what matters to them. You have to stand out from the rest. And there can be pitfalls along the way. I would love to hear from your perspective. What should manufacturers who are seeking to, to reach foreign-born communities, what should they be wary of? Where, where could they go wrong inadvertently? Well, I talked about Google Translate. I think you've got to be really careful in what aspect you're using that because you don't want to increase your liability because the, the quality is not there. And I have tons of examples on that. So, you know, look at the resources that you're using for language communication. I think another thing is if, if you're going to do this, you spend a lot of time thinking about culture and, and how to rally around what your goal is like Disney rallies their global workforce around the child within us. Boston Centralist does it on precision manufacturing. So in, in manufacturing, there is a lot of rallying about different ways of, you know, how do you articulate quality? That's important. If you don't spend a lot of time building the culture, that's going to be inclusive. You can get to an us versus them mentality. And that can just sink you because people aren't going to be working together. They're going to be afraid. So look at your resources, look at your, how you're going to build your culture. And I think the other thing is, is if you don't, don't start doing it now, you're going to look back and regret. And, and, and I, and I think the biggest thing that holds people back from not doing it is this fear of other languages and cultures. And I've lived around the world and I thrive talking to people from different countries. And basically people want to live in a place that's safe, they want to provide for their family. They want to have engaging work. And they like to have a sense of humor and laugh about things. You know, so that's, that's my own analysis of what people want. And that goes across the world. And so a smile is the only gesture that, that is recognized everywhere. And that can go a, a far, far away. So don't be afraid. Be open. Stay curious. That's the number one thing I hear on the Global Marketing Show for people talking about when you're traveling internationally for building your business is just stay curious and ask. There's, there's delicate ways to ask things and people are so much happier being asked rather than, you know, not having an uncomfortable situation. You know, a, a key idea of that was kind of underlying a lot of what you brought up is, and you said it, culture, right? Because one thing we want to make sure we don't forget is it's not just, it's not just translating words, right? It's, it's how to appeal to people from a different background whose culture consists of things that, you know, you may not be as familiar with. And it's, it's, it's more than just, uh, like I said, it's more than just a change of words and a change mm-hmm. of language. It's change of culture. And humor is a big part of culture, right? Things that are funny in one culture are not necessarily as funny in another culture. But I love that you brought up rallying around culture because it does, you do have to understand that that cultural differences do play a part and, and they, they shouldn't be diminished or dismissed, it should be embraced and celebrated, right? The the example that you provided 
I love it. Bring a dish that, you know, is representative of your culture of, of where you're from. I, it's, I certainly love that idea. Yeah. So there's a lot of other hints too, when you're working with people across culture and, and you started to say, you know, if you're, you're working with people from different cultures, we're talking about two cultures here. One is the culture of the workforce and the other is different cultures from around the world. And when you're working with people from different cultures around the world, you also have to be aware of body language and responses. Um, like for example, a head nod in some cultures can mean, yes, I hear you, but it, it may not mean I agree with you. So they may be, may be nodding and you may be thinking that, oh, okay, they're gonna do what I want or they agree with me. So you do have to slow down communications and have people, so you talk slower, you have them repeat, you ask in different ways of, do you, do you foresee any issues that could arise with this? Or, you know, so there's delicate ways to ask to hear if there's something that they disagree with that they wouldn't want to cause shame by pointing out that you're making a mistake. And so there's, there's little subtleties that you start to learn. And that's where if you have an interpreter or you have somebody that's fully bilingual that can notice and articulate these, that they can be a, a cultural conduit to help help you understand what might be going on. I love that, a cultural conduit. Yes, yes. And the other thing that we absolutely have to point out is if you've done no education on diversity, equity, and inclusion, the companies that are diverse have higher revenues, they produce more, they're more stable. And the statistics are like, uh, they slightly vary between women and people of color and culture. And they range between like 20 and 30% outperforming their competitors that are non-diverse. And companies that are not diverse at all are like 25% underperforming. So I know it's a struggle right now to hire people and you may be doing this just to get you know, bodies in the seats or get fully employed. But the benefit of doing it is it's going to show in your company because you're going to get other viewpoints that are going to make you better and stronger. So you will see a financial payoff to this too. Absolutely. I mean, that's a, one of the, you know, aside from being a morally good thing, diversity, equity, and inclusion, there is tangible impacts that have been well-researched and studied because of that diverse background, uh, the different ways of approaching problems, because we all know in manufacturing, that's the reason for the name of the show, Conquering Chaos, it's, it's sometimes anything but straightforward. And a lot of times what you're doing is you're fighting fires, you're having to deal with different problems and having a, someone bring a unique perspective and a viewpoint to, I see this problem this way, here's solutions that I've experienced or that relate to that. That's what drives innovation. And to your mm -hmm. point, innovation fuels your competitive advantage. Right, mm -hmm. And if you think about the other point that you made, which is starting now, this is part of the competitive advantage of how do we get fully staffed, you know, tackle production, quality, and safety, all these areas that are essential to surviving within manufacturing and do it quicker than our competitors, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that, that first mover advantage with tapping into these different communities that are located, you know, around you know, not just the United States, but it's all across the world. I've, I certainly have the habit of thinking very U.S.-based, which is a problem with me, everyone. I'm working on it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, let's... let's. Uh... So, the, and I just have to, I'm so glad you brought up innovation because the companies that are diverse have higher innovation. That's proven too. And one of the stories that I love is 
uh, Pepperidge Farms, you know, they make the, the little cookies and they had a lot of Latino workers in the factory. And they said, you know, how come Latinos don't buy Pepperidge Farms? And they said, well, you don't have our, a, a flavor that's very common in the, the Latino markets in the U.S. And they said, what's that? And they said, strawberry. So they made a strawberry Pepperidge Farm cookie and it flew off the shelves in the Latino <laughs> neighborhoods. <laughs> so it's little things like that, that you may not realize that if you're, you're diverse, that you get insights in that, that are going to help your company. I love that story. It reminds me of the story of, I don't know all the details and I'm going to butcher the story. So please forgive me if I get it wrong, but it's related to Cheetos and the creation of Flamin' Hot Cheetos. You know, an individual, I believe he's a Hispanic individual, you know, the, the, he was adding or suggested a particular flavoring that he enjoyed. And uh, that's what eventually became the, the Flamin' Hot Cheetos, which is a huge, huge hit across cultures. I love Flaming Hot Cheetos. <laughs> oh, my teens can't get enough of Flaming Hot Cheetos. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, yeah, yeah. So innovation and that, that extends to manufacturing too, because it's a different, a different viewpoint. Different perspective. Mm-hmm. Perspective is a better way to say it. Yes. Uh, well, let's, let's talk about, you know, setting up operations for success when building a diverse workforce, let's talk about some best practices. You know, we, we mentioned a few things, a, a common one that I think came up in some of the examples is how to make work visual. That's some, certainly something that mm-hmm. we see because visuals span across languages, right? Uh, you know, that's one of the things that we, we, we focus on at Parsable. You know, one of the major use cases is providing work instructions so that you know what tasks you need to complete, but also providing the how to complete that particular task. Now, and, and, and this is true for not just different cultures, but different generations as well. Millennials and Gen Z, we don't want to read a ton of text, right? We're YouTube videos, yes. TikTok yeah. videos, right? So how can you embed visuals that communicate how to perform Let's say in this example, it's a clean inspect, clean inspect lubricate process. You know, this is how you you address this part of the machine. Here's specifically where you need to look, right? And you've got that video that sh- walks you through that can then be used uh, across languages. Videos are a great way to do visuals because if you've got something you're just showing you can put music in the background and then it doesn't matter what language somebody speaks everybody can watch it now if you do have something that takes language you can do subtitles and so you take if you script it out all you have to do is translate the script and then the video editor can put those across the bottom of the screen and people are used to reading subtitles. That's the part of the millennial Gen Z thing. You're so used to watching videos when you're trying not to make noise (laughs) that people are accepting subtitles a lot more common now. If you hire a voiceover person to do it, you've got to do the translation and then you also have to hire a person, get them to do the audio file and then match the audio file to the video. So it's a lot more complex. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of gets me to another question is, you know, what kind of help do manufacturers need in, in making this happen and making their, their place of work something where foreign-born workers can thrive? Well, I think it's, well, all right, when I talk about it, you got to start with strategy, 
Okay. So if you're the hiring manager, you're the shop floor manager, if you don't have the buy-in from the senior executives to do this, it's going to be really hard because then you'll create the us versus them. So you're, you've got to have your corporate strategy along with your HR strategy along align with your multilingual strategy. So your corporate strategy has to say, okay, we're going to open up the culture to make it welcoming. And we're going to first focus on this language. And, you know, so everybody's in alignment and you're there for it. You could even do some cultural diversity training to, to get people ready for that idea. So that's the first place you want to start. And then I talked about, you know, what are the different things across the stages that you need to, to make language accessible? You know? yeah, and, and, that, and that one call that you made of having that, uh, that conduit of the culture, there's someone who can, you know, it's more than just translating the language, but it's, it's making sure that, you know, people are, are communicating in all the different ways that we communicate, whether it is the, uh, you know, body language, right. Being a key factor in how a message is put out there or received. You also mentioned that, that, you know, there, there is going to be a need for translation services of the content that you're um, providing and that you have to make sure that whatever service that you're using is completely accurate because I've certainly butchered translations using Google translate. And that's not something that anyone can afford, especially when safety is paramount. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I want to talk about that, but I also want to go back to when you're recruiting people, I mentioned the job fairs and translating the flyer with the QR code to go to the website. Uh, A lot of immigrants, depending on what, what language and what culture you can go to churches or places of worship, or you can go to, you know, like Chinese schools or Russian math schools or community centers. These are all places where people will congregate. And there is usually a community leader that has a lot of influence. So if you can find that person and explain to him or her what you're looking for, they usually are well-connected, say, you know, through whatever social media platform they're having. So, so maybe it's a big group of Brazilian people that happen to have a chat group on Facebook in that town. If you can post in places like that, that's how you can get visibility to hire. So you think a little bit cre- more creatively about where these people hang out. They're not going to be going to Indeed to look for a job. And so then you talked about quality. Yes, there, you know, I own a foreign language translation interpretation company, and we have a hundred percent guarantee on quality. And we focus on hiring people that uh, many of them have advanced degrees. We do all human translation. Now that's our niche. There's lots of different niches in the industry. There's some companies that have really mastered machine translation when there's lots and lots of quantity of material. So you imagine a lawsuit in a legal suit that's across the world or across multiple languages. They could have a whole, you know, old fashioned talk, room full of boxes of materials that need to be translated or a whole, you know, terabyte of (laughs) information. And they may be looking for that one doc that has the information that they need. So they can throw that through machine translation, get the gist of it, narrow down into just what they want and have that one document translated. Okay. There's other ones that will use machine translation with human editing. You might save some costs, but it's going to read very stilted and you're not going to get the meaning across, but it may be okay if you, you know, have to document a lot of stuff. So 
when you're working with an agency, you do want to find somebody that has 100% human translation to get the high quality. And you want to know how they're screening the interpreters and how they're doing it. And if they do linguistic matchmaking, which means they take the interpreter that worked on your materials before, and they use that same person. So you get consistency of voice. So if we're talking about dinner, the word dinner is used all the time. And the next person doesn't come in and call it supper. You know, because that could be confusing, particularly if you're in a precise manufacturing situation. So who you hire is very important. The same with interpreting. Now, there, if you do get to the point where you have enough people and you have a supervisor that's bilingual, that supervisor may be able to, you know, do additional trainings, help facilitate company updates or announcements or, you know, the parties coming out or something like that. But if you need to have a private confidential meeting with an employee that doesn't speak your language, you can either bring in a human interpreter, a live person to come facilitate, which, you know, we'll do more for benefits meetings. You can also do video on demand. So you have an account and you call into the video company and you put in what language you want and somebody pops in so they can be in the room facilitating with you. That's a little bit more than calling your account on your telephone and putting them on speakerphone and having a conversation. Now, if it's a conversation that you want to have multiple people on in Zoom and you're in different locations, you can schedule to have an interpreter come into Zoom and then and then have a conversation. So there's, there's so many ways to handle cross-lingual communication that, you know, you really want to work with somebody that can help you figure out what are the best pieces to put together to, to be um, efficient in your communications and what content can you reuse? Because if you think about your content from a strategic standpoint, you may be able to use some of the content that you use in training to go on your website or your tech sheets. And so then you're not having to translate three things, you can use them in three different, in one translation in three different areas. A lot of information at you. <laughs> Absolutely. But that's, that's what the purpose of this conversation is for, right? Is, is to understand from the experts how to, to tackle a particular opportunity or problem. So that, that thorough breakdown of what to look for and who can help, I think is perfect. And, you know, I'd love to, I know we're, we're, we're at uh, just about at our time. I'd love to hear about how our listeners could learn more about you know, the topics that we covered today or more about Rapport International? Sure. Well, you can find us at rapporttranslations.com. And on our website, you can, if you go to the resource center, we've got a whole bunch of material up there talking about translation. You can go in there and you can search for videos or blogs or landing pages or vlogs and then put in the topic that you're searching for and it'll come up with a lot of information. You can also go listen to the podcast to learn more about global marketing, which, you know, HR communications has a lot of overlap with marketing. It's all about communication. So listening to some of the suggestions that people have had and how they communicate through their global marketing. And then there is also a free consult uh, button there. So you can go schedule a time to meet with me or somebody from my staff to talk about your particular situation. If you're on social media, we post fun stuff all the time about words that have no translation. One of my favorites is kalsodakonit. It's a Finnish word 
that has no direct meaning in English. Any idea what it means? I have no idea. <laughs> this is a, it's a perfect word for COVID. It means I'm drunk, I'm at home, I'm in my underwear, and there's no chance of me going out. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Actually a, a word that means that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's such a great word. Um, Calcitic on it. <laughs> um, you know, speaking of, of words, there, there was one that I learned in French was, uh, and I'm going to butcher this as well. So, because uh, it's been a long time since I've used my French skill, but it's le spirit de, d'escalier, I think, which, which translates to the spirit of the staircase. Any idea what that means? No, I don't. I speak it's, some French. It's, it's, uh, well, I'm, again, I may have butchered it, but it's that feeling that you get when you leave a room or a situation and you have that moment of, I should have said this, like, that's what I should have said, you know, and I can, I can totally relate to that where you, you just leave and you're like, oh, I just thought of that perfect <laughs> comment to make in response to whatever somebody just said. Oh, that's fantastic. We'll have to use that. No, so with on social media, we'll put videos or we'll put stuff out on stuff like this all the time. So if you like it or you want to hear, you know, funny Google translations or want to learn about cultures, you can follow me on LinkedIn, Wendy Pease, P-E-A-S-E, or uh, Facebook or Twitter. And we're starting to do more on Instagram. So, you know, we'll put it out on all that, so whatever your favorite platform is. Well, that's great. Well, Wendy, I certainly appreciate your time and walking us through uh, how manufacturers can appeal to foreign-born communities that are uh, around locally. And uh, I certainly appreciate the, the, the stories you shared and the strategies you've provided. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a joy to talk with you. And again, I can't tell you how happy I am to see that Parsable actually has your platform translated into so many languages. So I think that's a first step for companies to, to start being safe. I agree. All right. Well, thank you so much. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.